Hello, I'm Shane Hartsfield, pastor of Beaver Baptist Church. Thank you for listening to our weekly podcast. If you have any questions about what it means to follow Christ or questions about our church, direct you to our website, beaverbaptist.com, for our contact information. Weekly, we study exegetically through books of the Bible. And now, join us as we dive into today's passage. Sometimes they, they would solve these mysteries, and sometimes they would help their father, who was, who was a, a, a genuine detective. They would help him solve some of his cases. But as you're reading that, those books, like it was where you couldn't hardly put them down. You're kind of on the edge of your seat, and you're just waiting on what's going to happen next. They kept you on the edge of your seat until finally the culprit is found out, and the mystery is solved. And the mysteries were always solved, and it always ended happily, Right? And it was just, yeah, just as it should be. You know, the guy with the white hat, he always won, right? And, and so on and so forth. But Solomon, here in the book of Ecclesiastes, he's on a quest to find the meaning of life. What's life all about? And he's applying the wisdom that God gave him. He's the wisest man that ever lived. And he's using that wisdom to try to answer life's tough questions. But what has Solomon learned so far? Over and over, he says, vanity, vanity, it's all vanity, right? Which means what? Yeah, it doesn't satisfy. We see the word vanity most of the time in the book of Ecclesiastes. That word means, yeah, it just doesn't satisfy. And, the, and this life is, is frustrating. And it's impossible for us to know for certain what God is doing in the world. Life doesn't always end happily. It doesn't make sense. It isn't neat and clean. It's messy. The good guy doesn't always win. And some mysteries go unsolved. In fact, many questions are left unanswered, right? Many things in the divine government of the universe are simply beyond our ability and capacity to know. So what's the best way for us to respond to, to, uh, to this situation, to our limitations? And some, some may say, well, they look at all the confusion in the world and they just conclude, well, there's no God. I don't, I don't want anything to do with this. If there is a God... So what? Who cares? I, I don't want anything to do with it. It doesn't make any sense to me. And, and some people have that response. But Solomon doesn't give in to this kind of thinking. As skeptical as he is about his ability to know the mind of God, he nevertheless believes that what happens in this world is the work of God. And that's what we saw last week in chapter 8. That whatever happens in the world is the work of God because God is sovereign. So instead, we should lift up our hearts to praise the Lord. As Paul did in Romans chapter 11, we read that last week, verse 33 and 34. He says, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Philip Rikens, I I told you when I began this study back back last fall, I leaned heavily on a couple people. One is a, one of our seminary professors, Thomas Schreiner. He's a great, godly man. I've leaned heavily on his teaching. But also one, Philip Reichen, who he's the, the president of Wheaton College. And he says in his commentary about Isaac Watts, hymn, We Give Immortal Praise. It's a famous hymn by Isaac Watts. 
And he writes this, Where reason fails with all her powers, there faith prevails and love adores. We just can't, we, we don't know all the answers. Solomon, in all his wisdom, he hasn't figured it all out. But he does give us counsel. And we're going to continue hearing from Solomon this morning. Five things I think we can learn from this text. He begins his counsel today by reminding us that, you know, God really does have the whole world in his hands. Look at verse 1. We know that song, and we've all, most of us have sang that song, right? He's got the whole world in his hands. We do the motions. He says, but all this I laid to heart, examining all, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. The whole world's in his hand. That includes us, right? And he decides what experiences we'll face, right? The Lord decides whether we'll face pleasures, whether we'll face heartache. And it seems random from our perspective, doesn't it? But nothing's random to God. There's no coincidences, there's no happenstances or flukes. But from our perspective, there's meaning. Right? Almost every day we say, well, that's, that was kind of a coincidence, wasn't it? And, 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 and for example, some of the, you've had this experience where you've seen the same person. You haven't seen them in years, right? And then in one week you run into them. It seems like everywhere you go, you run into them. And then what happens is you, you, you haven't seen them in a while, so you're able to catch up. What are you able to do? You're able to share the gospel, right? You're able to share the gospel, and then what, lo and behold, what happens? This, this person repents, right? Say, wow, that was such a coincidence. Really? From my perspective, what a coincidence, but not from God's perspective, right? And last week in chapter 8, we saw that you know, life is frustrating. Sometimes the wicked prosper, right, and the righteous suffer. And here, we're told that we don't know what will happen. Look at the second part of verse 1. Whether we will be loved or hated, right? We can't predict our next experience. We don't know what's going to happen next. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Tomorrow's going to be a good day. It's going to be a frustrating day. We're not real sure. We don't know what the doctor's going to say. Is it going to be a good report or a bad report, right? We don't know. And some might say, well, if that's the case, then it's better just to make the most of life by doing whatever you want to do, right? But Solomon tells us to enjoy God's graces. If we live like there is no eternity, that's not really wise, is it? Remember remember Solomon's conclusion. As we study, we have to remember chapter 12, verse 13 and 14, where Solomon says, Fear God and obey His commands. Why? Because judgment's coming, right? Yeah, we don't live like there's no eternity. That would be unwise. So he really does have the whole world in his hand. He is sovereign, even though we don't understand what he's doing. Second thing we learn from this text is that we should live in a way that prepares us for eternity. Look at verses 2 and 3. It's the same for all, since the same events happen to the righteous and the wicked. See, he distinguishes there are righteous people, right? And there are wicked people. There is a difference. To the good, to the evil, to the clean, to the unclean, to him who sacrifices, him, that means him who goes to worship, right? And him who does not. As the good one is, so is the sinner. And he who swears is as he who shuns an oath. He says, this is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that the same event happens to all. He says, the hearts of men are evil. Now, that's broadly, we know that to be true, right? How many of you are sinners? We all raise hands, right? Yeah, the Bible says, for, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 
Of course we're sinners, right? We've all rebelled against the Lord. But here, I think this is referring specifically to those who don't understand death, right? They don't consider their eternal destiny. In fact, these folks are the ones who avoid thinking about eternity altogether, right? They consume themselves with worldly pleasures and distractions. They spend all their time doing other things, watching TV, whatever, playing video games, maybe just working, right? You got some people, they just work, 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 work. We just stay busy. We want to be distracted. We don't want to think about eternity, right? And we're told in chapter 8, remember, in so many words, Solomon says, go to more funerals, right? It's good for you to go to funerals because at funerals, what do you have to do? You have to think about your own mortality. It's good for us to think about those things. But whether you're thinking about your mortality or not, we all suffer the same fate, don't we? We all die. Death is the great equalizer, isn't it? Yeah. Whether you're righteous or not, whether you're God-fearing or not, whether you're rich or poor or smart or ignorant, it doesn't really matter. Whether you're old, whether you're young, yeah, we we all have the same fate. We all we all die, right? Look at verse four. But he says the living, even though we all die, right? That's our own. Uh, we, we all have the same fate. But he says the living have an advantage, don't they? Look at verse four. The living have an advantage. Living is better than dying. He says, for a living dog is better than a dead lion. Now, you have to understand, dogs in, in Hebrew culture, they were despised. They were unclean, right? They were not looked at fondly, right? They would have them in our home, as we do today, right? They would put sweaters on them. They wouldn't buy them real expensive dog food. Yeah, they wouldn't do that. But lions, on the other hand, they're majestic. But the author says it's better to be a living dog than a dead lion. Why? Look at verse 5 and 6. Because the dead can't do anything about their lives, right? Even the memory of them will fade. How many of you, raise your hand if you can tell me your fifth grade teacher. Any? Wow, look at y'all. That's incredible. I can't, I was, this week, I was trying to, I was thinking about naming off some teachers, and I was thinking about who taught me, because someone, you know, mentioned, well, my third grade teacher is great, and I was thinking, well, who's my third grade teacher? And now I think, I couldn't, I can't remember my fifth grade teacher. But the, the point I was trying to make, and you ruined it by everybody raising your hand, is that we, we forget things, we forget things, don't we? And in fact, when we, we all will pass on, and in a generation, people won't even know your name. Your great-great-grandfather was an incredible man. The trouble is we know nothing about him, not even his name. But he says those who are living have a chance to prepare for death. It's better to be living because you have an opportunity to, to prepare for eternity. Those who are passed on, they have no chance, right? It's over for them. And you say, well, you don't know about my life. I've wasted my life. You don't know there's a lot of water on the bridge. You don't know what I've done, and that's true. But as long as you're breathing, it's not too late. Where there is life, there is hope. So that's what Solomon, that's Solomon's point. As long as you have breath, there's hope. So do something today about your eternity. So God's sovereign. He has the whole world in his hand. We're to live in such a way as to prepare for eternity. 
And the third thing we learn from this text in verse 7 through 10 is enjoy life when possible. And we've seen this already several times, right? It keeps coming back to us again and again. Life is frustrating. Life is an enigma, if you will. It really is. There's a lot of questions about life we can't answer. And apart from God, we can't be satisfied. We, it's all vanity. But amidst life's heartaches and difficulties, Solomon compels us to enjoy life. In fact, the bitterness of life is used by God to conform us to His image. He's already told us that in chapter 3, verse 11. He has made everything beautiful in its time. And he says, here, God has already approved your works. Now, that doesn't mean that you can do whatever you want. Whatever you do, it's okay with God. No, that's not what he means by that. But God does want us to enjoy his gifts. And he mentioned several things. He mentions feasting. Notice the food and drink. We like that, don't we? So, yeah, food and drink. And he mentions white clothes here and oil. Notice it in verse 8. White clothes. Let not oil be lacking on your head. What's that? Well, the white clothes were the dress-up clothes of the day. That was your Sunday clothes. Now, our children, we were a real casual family. But on Sundays, Jenny wants the kids to put on Sunday clothes, dress up a little bit. Yeah, it's just kind of a tradition in our home. And a lot of you do the same. But the white clothes, that was the dress-up clothes of the day. And he talks about this oil, where the oils were scented. So you can contextualize this by saying, put on some nice clothes, dab on a little perfume, a little cologne. And enjoy yourself. What's Solomon saying? And sometimes you get to, if you uh, listen to some people, you get the idea that Christianity is not, we're not to enjoy life, we're not to have fun. But that's not what Solomon is saying over and over again, right? We keep coming up on the same theme. We're to enjoy food. We're to enjoy our lives. We're to enjoy our spouses. Look at verse 9. The one you love, you should also enjoy and for some of us, this is our biggest struggle, right? This relationship is the most satisfying in your life. I mean, it's most sanctifying in your life. It should be the most satisfying, but for some of us, it's the most sanctifying relationship in our lives. It's difficult because maybe you're, you're married to a difficult person. No, don't look at nobody. Don't be doing this. But for some of you, that may be true. You're married to a difficult person, a person who doesn't treat you the way you think he should be treating you. And he's not... Fulfilling his obligation, maybe even as a believing husband or a believing wife. We're not satisfied. We are disappointed. And maybe your spouse is an unbeliever, and you, it's a battle for you, even daily, to figure out how to raise your children. You're not on the same page. But, and that's difficult. But if we can, we are to enjoy our spouses. And a lot, of, a lot of times I think we don't enjoy our spouses because we don't spend time together. Just going to chase a rabbit here for a second. Maybe we work too much or maybe our attention is always on the kids. You know, for whatever reason, we don't spend time together. And my wife, she helps me with this. This has been something that we've worked on since we've been married and we, we she would tell you we have our struggles like anyone else but the one of the things that we've tried to do is have date night regularly date night what I mean by that is just time she and I and when we're in China we're in China for 10 years and 
Friday night was our date night. Every Friday night we'd have a Chinese friend come and they'd watch our kids for like two hours. Not, not a lot of time, but that was just enough time to, to connect. And sometimes we'd go to dinner, sometimes we'd walk, go for a walk, whatever. But it was time for us just to, to, to talk and reconnect. And I, I know it's done wonders for us, and I think it'll be wonders for you. But we need to spend time with our spouses. It affects your relationship. It affects your intimacy. So enjoy your spouse, your husband, or your wife. And that's what Solomon is telling us here. Enjoy feasting. Enjoy your spouse. But also look, enjoy your work. And, and back to that. You, some of you can't do that every week. And we lately we haven't done that either. But just a time regularly where you spend together. Get a sitter if you have young children. And spend time together. Just the two of you. Or maybe where you, you can't get a sitter. You have nobody. You have no money to pay one. Well, put the kids to bed early and spend time together. Connecting. But he says, enjoy feasting, enjoy your spouse, and also enjoy your work. Look at verse 10. Whatever you do, do it wholeheartedly, he says. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all. Do it with your mind, for there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom and shield to which you are going. You enjoy your work. You know, well, I don't really like work. Well, he says, uh, to enjoy work. It kind of coincides with Colossians, doesn't it? Chapter 3, verse 23 of Colossians says, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. See, work, working is a spiritual activity. We think it's just bringing home the bacon, doing what we got to do. But the Bible, it's really a spiritual activity. We do it for the glory of God. Whether you're a glass man, right? You build transmissions, right? You're an iron worker. You're in pest control. You're a teacher. Whatever you do, do all that you do for the glory of God. Again, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul says, verse 31, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Yeah. You should be able to enjoy work to some degree because we're giving God glory. Do it well. Do it for His glory. So we're going to enjoy life when possible. Fourthly, Solomon tells us in verses 11 and 12 that life's full of surprises. Notice what it says here. The ones who should win sometimes lose. Sometimes the smartest and the most qualified they don't always get the job. The best person for the job doesn't always get elected. That happens too, doesn't it? I read an article this week about the greatest sports team ever assembled. Like the greatest in the history of sports, in all sports, including all sports. What's the greatest team ever assembled? Becky? Yeah, good. The dream team was on the list. Some people say that the 27 Yankees, those of you that young people would know that, but younger folks, there's 85 Bears. That's a good one, too. Yeah. 85 Bears, an incredible defense. You know the team that was listed number one on this? And it's subjective, isn't it? We mentioned this. And all those are good, good suggestions. It was the 1980 Russian hockey team. They were, they were considered the greatest and by some, even now, sports writers, the greatest sports team ever put together. And you remember back in those days in the Olympics, the professionals, right, the NHL, they couldn't compete. And so these, all these international squads would just annihilate the Americans. But in 1980, the greatest sports team ever assembled was beaten by who? By the Americans. Yeah, by a bunch of amateurs. Because you know what? Sometimes... 
the best team doesn't win. Human ability doesn't guarantee success. They, they, and people would say, you know what? If they played 10 more times, the Russians would beat the Americans 10 out of 10. And everybody pretty much says that. Yeah, it's true. But lo and behold, what happened during the Olympics? And they had played earlier that year, right? They had played earlier in the year, and, and they did an, an exhibition game and got destroyed. Yeah, but human ability doesn't guarantee success. You know, we don't know when something expected or something bad may happen, right? The, the, the best team doesn't win. The smartest person doesn't win, uh, doesn't get the job. It just happens that way. We don't know when something bad is going to happen. Like the fish, he gives an example in verse 12. The fish in a net and a bird in a snare. Now, if they had known what was about to happen, they would have fled, but they didn't. And we don't know when bad things are going to happen. Just like a getting caught in a snare or a trap. Natural disasters, military conflicts, terrorist attacks, financial misfortunes. If you knew you were going to lose a bunch of money, guess what? You wouldn't have lost a bunch of money, right? You don't know when things are going to happen. But Solomon, is, what is he telling us? Sometimes difficulties happen. And even when things are good, Solomon's teaching us, things are going well. Your family, financially, spiritually, Everything's going good, Solomon is telling us. But get ready. Life throws us a curveball, doesn't it? Solomon here is telling us how to live wisely. Be ready for the unexpected. And lastly, fifthly, although wisdom isn't always appreciated, be wise. Verse 13 through chapter 10, verse 1. He says, gives us an example there in verse 14. There was a city. It was besieged. They were outnumbered. There were a few people in it. They were outnumbered by a, a powerful army. The odds were stacked against them. They're going to die. But what happens? Solomon gives an example of a wise man who saves a city. Well, we know we're going to be going through hard times. We know death awaits us. It can be somewhat depressing book. Some people say, well, it's better just to throw in the towel, give up trying, give up trying to live righteously anyway and wisely. I mean, if the strong don't win and most qualified don't get the job, then why work at it? Why bother trying to be wise? Solomon here gives us an example and tells us why. The city was surrounded, outnumbered. They didn't have a prayer. But in this case, the strong didn't win. That's what he had just taught us in verse 11. This one poor, wise man rescues them. How? We don't know. We don't know what he did, but he said he uses his wisdom. It's by his wisdom that this city was saved. But unfortunately, the man and his efforts were soon forgotten. He didn't get accolades. He wasn't even noticed. His name wasn't even in the paper. In fact, Solomon says oftentimes the wise aren't even listened to. Verse 16, But I say that wisdom is better than mine, though the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard. 
who the wise aren't listened to oftentimes. Often the loudmouth jerks, they're listened to instead. You've seen that happen? I have. The loudmouth who's always spouting off the mouth, Solomon says, is inferior to the quiet-spoken man who speaks wisdom. But in the world we live in, the loudmouth jerk gets heard oftentimes. Look at verse 18. Weapons of war are useful, but even weapons of war are more useful when used by someone who listens to wise counsel. And in chapter 10, verse 1, it says, It doesn't take much for a fool to turn things rancid. Again, using an illustration, wisdom like sweet perfume. But what does the perfume do? It attracts flies. And the flies, they had died in the perfume and they turned it sour. Solomon says, so it is with fools who, maybe they say something rude or they make a hasty decision or they lose their temper. They have this fit of rage. You know, it's really easy. It's, it's a lot easier to make something stink than it does to make something sweet. It doesn't take much to mess things up. Solomon is saying, Although wisdom isn't always appreciated, wisdom is far superior to folly, to foolishness. So how do we apply this wisdom? Despite our best effort, we can't predict the future, nor can we control it. But if we are wise, we'll put our trust in God, who does know the future and who is in control. So seek to obey and please Him in preparation for eternity. I think that's what Solomon is teaching us. Unbeliever, as I read this story of this wise man who saved this city, I, I think of this humble, wise man named Jesus, who most people didn't listen to. Through his wisdom and sacrifice, he died our death. He took our punishment so we wouldn't have to. Now, this teaching from Solomon is not a prophecy of Jesus, is it? But it's a fair analogy, I think. How did he save the lost city? Jesus did what seemed, at the time, seemed foolish. He gave himself up and died a criminal's death. Not even speaking a word in his defense. And what seemed foolish at the time was actually wise. And those who see the wisdom in repenting of their sins and trusting Jesus' work as their own can have eternal security, can have their home in heaven guaranteed. So the Lord gives repentant sinners His Spirit. Those who acknowledge that they're sinful and turn from their sin, it's called repentance in the Bible. If we turn from our sin... We're abhorred by our sin. We're tired of our sin. We don't want to sin anymore. We turn from it, and we place our faith and trust in Jesus. Jesus did, in fact, die for me. He died in my place. He rose from the grave on the third day for my pardon, for my forgiveness. Those who repent and trust Jesus, they receive the Holy Spirit. And what's the Bible say in Ephesians about the Holy Spirit? It's our guarantee of our home in heaven. So how do we apply this to our lives? I think unbeliever, 
Repent. If you've never repented, repent. That's the wise thing to do. Repent and trust Jesus. The Bible says Jesus died for sinners. If you're a sinner, repent and trust Him. Trust His work as your own. Believer, many of you here are believers. You've already repented. You've trusted Christ. The Holy Spirit indwells you. How do we apply this today? I think one thing, just know that surprises will come. Difficulties in life will come. Maybe maybe that'll be tomorrow. You'll encounter a difficulty in life. Just know that God really does have the whole world in His hands. He really does have the whole world in His hands. He is trustworthy. We can trust Him. And, and also, believer, I think we should choose wisdom over foolishness. And how do we do that? Here's some specific ways to do that. When your boss makes things hard on you, maybe he's not just. He seems to be making things difficult for you. Look at, it as an, at, it, look at this op, as an opportunity, maybe, to love people like Jesus loves you. When sickness or illness attacks your loved ones, See it as an opportunity to draw close to the Lord. When the Lord takes a friend or a loved one, see it as an opportunity for the lost to hear the gospel at a time where they're forced to think about heaven and hell. When you have to confront a brother or sister in Christ because of habitual sin in their life, see it as an opportunity to love them and to defend the gospel which we're called to do. When others ridicule you because of your faith, see it as an opportunity to share in Christ's suffering and become more like Him. Seek wisdom. Avoid folly. Avoid foolishness. I was This week I was reminded of the, the verse, the passage. It says, draw near to the Lord, for He'll draw near to you. Just want to encourage you to do that. That's wise. Draw near to the Lord. He'll draw near to you. How many of you, you really feel you're experiencing intimacy with Jesus? Can you say right now in your walk with the Lord, believer, that you are really intimate with Him? That I really, I've really felt God's pleasure recently. I've heard His voice. I hear is the Spirit nudging me and, and, and prodding me and motivating me to do good deeds. Can you say that? The wise thing to do is to draw near to the Lord. And the, and the Bible says that He'll draw near to you. I encourage you to do that this week, just by way of application. Thank you for tuning in today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast if this message has been helpful to you. Again, if you have any questions, go to our website for our contact information, and we'll see you next time.